Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Danilo from Thinking Critically here. Thinking Critically is a chat show podcast where we take a single concept or idea and discuss what it means within the Dungeons and Dragons framework. Each episode features a different guest from the TTRPG community, and so far I've welcomed actors, designers, and professional DMs. Consider an NPR-style variety bucket of thought-provoking analysis and humorous anecdotes, where we cover all sorts of things, including the nitty-gritty of how to balance encounters, the perception of D&D in popular culture, and the impact it has on mental health. My hope is that each episode helps you get the most out of your sessions, whatever side of the screen you sit on. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit me at thinkingcritically.co.uk. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are very excited to have a very special guest in studio again, not to go ahead and come and talk about their latest awesome project. Can't wait to go ahead and crack into this one. This has been a long time coming, so very exciting. But before we get there, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening, good evening, good evening. How are you all this evening? Hello to you, sir. I'm doing quite well. Very excited for what we've got on tap tonight. So excited that if you recall, several weeks ago when we were recording another episode, I had inadvertently started reading this book because I thought that was the interview <laughs> that we were doing. So I, I actually had a little bit of a jump on y'all. Yeah. Uh, and I've been in this. I actually have my notes from the original time I was going through it. I'm like raring. I've been waiting for this yeah. for months. Yep. <laughs> like nice. literally. Yeah. Not, yeah. How about I'm you? I'm also Glenn? doing great. Also Good. doing great down here in the land of Connecticut. It's been busy trying to get our house ready to sell. But tonight yep. I am all in and super excited because yeah. anytime we have a new game that we're going to get to talk about, anytime we get to review something that somebody has worked on and built all on their own, because small time creators are my favorite, our favorite, yep. especially if we later get to do an actual play with them, yep. boiler alert, exactly. I'm all in. So let's do it. Yeah. So, without further ado, let us introduce you to Trevor Archuleta from SGG Interactive Publishers to talk about his new game, Veil of the Void Reforged. Trevor, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Nice to finally get you on here. Thank you for having me. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. You're all absolutely fantastic already, just with your general interaction. Thank you very much. Appreciate <laughs> that. Very, yeah, very honored to have been invited, my friends. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad ours. to have you. We, we've known each other forever, so there, there's a lot of <laughs> chemistry built up between us yeah, over yeah. years. Yes, it, it <laughs> well, only explodes every once in a while. So, before we get into peppering you mercilessly with questions, give us kind of the thirty thousand foot view. What is Veil of the Vo- Let me try that again? What is Veil of the Void Reforged? Yeah, tell us about the game. Okay, so Veil the Void Reforged is the sci-fi fantasy storytellers RPG that I like to brag about is designed with being fun. In fact, the whole trademarked company slogan for my company that I have is this is going to be fun because I've said it so often and so frequently. That's what it's come out to be. Veil the Void is a, a, just a general overarching view. It's a custom D6 system with nine species, each with unique ancestral paths, as well as 10 base classes that each have three specializations 
And that's just the beginning. It also has a huge GM's guide in there on how to create and run everything and do it from my perspective so that you can create it and make it your own. And then it also has a huge lore and monster section in the back of the book. And it's just a blast to play. <laughs> yeah, it really does sound like it's going to be a huge amount of fun. I cannot oh. wait until we get the chance to go ahead and uh, and throw dice and play through this. I think it's going to be a tremendous amount of fun. So I'm so glad Absolutely. to have you here. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Again, for having me. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, D20s to the ready. I think it is time to roll initiative and see who gets to go ahead and ask Trevor first questions. It's exciting. Already? Oh, yeah, auspicious beginning over here. I got a six. 12. 19. Oh, 19 carries the day. So Glenn gets the uh, gets the low-hanging fruit questions this week. All right. Why's it got to be low-hanging fruit? Because you're tall. I'm lead with an amazing question. In fact, I got to make sure I pick my favorite one so y'all can't scoop me since I'm straight up first. Strategic there. I'm going to scoop you. Strategery. I'm sure you might. I'm sure positive that one of you will have a similar question to one of my other ones. But since I get to go first on the whole episode, guaranteed to get this one in. So let me make sure. This is the most important question, clearly. That's right. So be very cautious with what you pick. So. My absolute favorite thing that I read in your book, by far, hands down, bar none, is the fact that you built skill development into the game as opposed to just skill buy. That instead of just purchasing each level of the skill, or even if I don't have the skill, I'm just mm-hmm. start trying to hack or whatever skill I'm after. And through failure and success, after X amount of tries, I'll get a skill rank. That's hot. I love it because I'm a, I right. love skill monkeys. And if you give mm-hmm. me a campaign where I have enough time, I'm going to be that kid in your game that's got all the skills. Fantastic. <laughs> Maybe not all, but a whole lot of them. But talk to me about what inspired to or talk to our listeners and us about what inspired you to do that with the skill system to add in your, the ability to, to self-learn and level them up on your own, on their own, so mm-hmm. to speak. Hard was it to come up with a system that worked and was balanced? Because I haven't seen it in any other game that I've read so far. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist because I took like a 20-year break from role-playing during kids. Fair. But <laughs> yeah, that's my general roundabout question that's not in a nutshell. It's more, more like a tangled ball of yarn, but go for it. Awesome. Perfect. Let's see if I can untangle it. So... Yeah, the skill development is one of my favorite. In fact, I think that's what most people come to me about and say is one of their absolute favorite things in this game. And on that point of coming across it, when I was designing my game, I've played so many tabletop games out there. Like I've played a lot and none of them ever fit my idea of like perfect fun. This is what I want to play. So I never understood why a lot of games don't have skills that let me do something else. Like why can't I learn the skills as I use them? Because real life, you practice enough, you'll eventually learn how to do something. You may not be perfect at it, but you'll eventually learn something how to do it. And so when I was designing the skill system in this game, I was really like, you know, what would be really fun and would really set us out from a lot of other games is if I could come up with a way to where you actually perform checks, you get to level your skills. On the point of trying to balance it, (laughs) what is balance? Very hard thing to do. But After extensive three years of testing, going through several groups to see how many roles we do per session, how many roles we do in combat, things like that, I was able to get a good balancing number so that when you level your skills or when you perform checks, you don't gain that skill immediately, but you do over consistent use of doing it. So it took a lot of practicing to get the skills to work to where they level up. And funny thing was, is it it actually was inspired by one of my first alpha testers. He gave this idea of skills are boring in a lot of systems, and I wonder if there's a way to make it better. And I was like, there probably is. (laughs) So I really strived hard to make it so skills actually mean something to the players. And just because your character doesn't have it, I don't want to discourage you from doing it. It's very important to me that your character fits exactly what you want your character to be. And that skill points matter and that you can really flesh out every ability you have to actually fit your idea. So that's what encouraged skill development for me was we can do it in real life. It'll be real fun for characters. And it gives you an actual reason to try to do a check that maybe you're not good at just so you can actually start learning it as a character. 
and it's not just basic it is nuanced like i love mm-hmm. I love the fact that you cannot buy you must earn the last level and but just it's oh, just sorry. as much no worries you can expand on both of these but just as much i love that for the first two levels it counts as a success whether you succeed or fail because you're still <laughs> still learning from failure in the beginning when you're just co- covering the basics but then once it hits level three only successes count towards progressing mm-hmm. the skill and just from the moment I read it to the end, I was captivated. And Perfect. I love it. Rifts and Palladium, you got games where previously on a percentage-based system, you get plus five per level. So it's showing that your skills are advancing mm-hmm. with your level, but this is actual use and application. I second that. And to Glenn's yeah. allusion to Palladium, that this is the next evolution. Palladium did the thing oh, to make perfect. skills better. This is what makes skills work. Ugh. Yeah, we're huge fans of skill systems, and you're absolutely right, Glenn. That I may not have had that exact question, but my favorite question also has to do with their skill system. But I, I do not have next round, Mr. Miller. The microphone's yours. I'm going to jump away from the skills because Glenn, you scooped me. Thank you so much. (laughs) You did it. You did it. I I still have one that I think you're (laughs) that I think I'm going to get first out. So as a player. I have always leaned on my close compatriots, specifically Josh and Glenn, to help me when I'm learning new systems. Like, I'm very good at getting a sense of the game, having a Mm -hmm. flow for the type of story we're going to be telling, but falter a little bit when I get to some of the mechanics. That's just me as a player. As a story, it's one of the things as a storyteller that I've been improving since we've been doing the podcast, because as we preview more games, I'm getting better at picking out these things. But I am interested in. From a content creation standpoint, as you're building the system, you're determining how mechanics work. You're not building it within a different system. That's a whole different type of set. You're building your skills. You're building your mechanics from the ground up here, which is a level I've never been successful at. I've tried it a couple times to no avail. So I'm interested in as you were building this and thinking back to how you were building it and where you ended up. Two questions that are exclusively from the player standpoint and specifically mm-hmm. player who struggles with rules. What is the easiest rule or mechanic in this game that a player is going to encounter on a regular basis? Okay. And then the follow up to that question is what is the most challenging or difficult rule that they're going to meet on a regular basis? And can you take the time at this moment to walk a player through those for us? Oh, yeah. Good question. (laughs) You guys are killing it so far. This is great. Sorry, I get very excitable. My what I always like to tell people the easiest rule, right? And it sounds like it might be the most complex, but this is how I teach people. The easiest rule in this game is knowing how a skill check works. And it's very quick. So you start with your virtue number. So let's say you have a five. Then you add any bonus dice that you get from your skills. So let's say you get one bonus dice and now you roll with six dice. And then you roll any auto hit dice that you may get, or you add an auto hit die, which is just a six. You then roll that check. And then if you meet the difficulty, you succeed it. And if you can remember that one rule, you can do every single check in this entire game because everything is based off of one check and that's it. So that's the quickest rule. You learn that rule and you can do anything the GM calls for you. Now on the end of a comp, a complex was what your second part was, right? Yep. For the most complex. I think a lot of the times spring to track cooldowns is what I hear people say can sometimes be the most difficult thing, like the rule to remember, because unlike a lot of spells where it's you get a certain spell limit or, or your ability can only be used this many times per day, we often have cooldown based because I like spells to be able to be used consistently. And so that's usually what people say is like the most complex is trying to remember all their abilities and spell cooldowns, which is why I took time to add a unique spell ability tracker in the character sheet now so that people can keep track of it all. But I think that's the most complex. And then counterintuitively, the easiest is knowing how to build your dice pool and then rolling for everything. And you learn that, you know how to play the game pretty much because I ignore half the rules anyway. (laughs) <laughs> and I wrote them. <laughs> On the skill check, because when I was mm-hmm. reading the rules, I did it was just one mechanic and it worked across skills to attacking yes. to everything. I did that very much. 
And I liked the auto hit, auto miss dice. I got that that was just when you get an auto hit die, you're, it's counting as a hit towards the number of hits you need to succeed. Yep. But does an auto hit die count towards or miss count towards a critical hit or a critical failure was a question I had left over when I was done that I wasn't sure about. Oh, I'm very excited you asked because we have a critical <laughs> scale, which is secondary to the skill development. People always praise our critical scale. Because it's not just a, oh, you critically succeed or critically fail a check. It's you crit you, you can succeed, but with disadvantage, or you can fail, but with advantage, or you can critically succeed, critically fail, or you can do both and tie and see what's going to happen with the fates aligned against you. So yeah, the auto hits and auto misses do count towards rolling a critical hit or a critical miss. So they're very good to get, which means when you get those abilities or you get those from spells or you get them from skill level points, auto hits really help affect you. But then on the opposite end of that, if you get them auto misses, they can really screw you over. So it's a, a real fun system of increasing it for the player, but also increasing the danger. Yeah. Very uh, high risk, yeah, high so reward. The, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the crit system is all about like, if you fail something, you if you roll a critical hit on that, which is five or more, but you still fail the check, then something good will still happen. So I always describe if imagine someone's on the edge of a cliff, you have to perform a balance check, you roll five successes, but in order to succeed the check, you needed eight of them. So your character falls off the cliff. But since you rolled that critical hit on your way down, instead of just immediately going splat, a branch catches you. So you're just able to grab onto that branch, thereby procking another skill check that you might have to make. Something that you might even be better at making because it's more of an advance, a fail forward rather than a fail backwards, basically. Yeah. But then on the same thing, if you succeed a check so well, but then you roll the critical miss, it, it's the exact opposite spectrum where you succeeded it. But then there's also the iffiness of, oh, you managed to hack into the artificial intelligence mech that's trying to blow up your field but at the same time it backfires and you go skyrocketing off of it <laughs> so <laughs> you succeeded the check but at the same time something bad happened something so bad happened I, yeah. yeah i really like the critical system because it's not just oh you critically succeed or fail yeah. it's this can happen but so uh, yeah. <laughs> i like that kind of system though <laughs> So I'm going to stay talking about skills here on my turn here, because I mean, obviously the skill section is so core to the gameplay mm -hmm. in here. We absolutely love what I wanted to dive into was the way that you combined traditional skill progression and magic system. And oh. basically your magic system is a skill, right? That it, yes. they're derived from the same mechanic. They are, they're really mm -hmm. just extensions of one another. That is really unusual. And I, so I tend to be like the numbers, like gamecraft kind of guy. And so I'm, I, was curious, why did you combine those so intricately together? What was the source of inspiration for that? And what was the reason behind it? So the thing I always tell people, I can't stand magic in most every system because I <laughs> love magic. <laughs> and it's like one of my absolute favorite things in any setting, anything like that. And so I didn't want spells to be limited by just how many you can cast per day. But I also wanted to give the roll a meaning so that by casting something, there's a little bit of danger when you cast it because I always love magic, especially in Veil of the Void. Magic is more of a flowing energy. I like to relate it back to something akin to electrical engineering. The energy is all flowing through this large like fiber optic cable and each person is connecting themselves to that. But there's a chance that they could overcharge themselves and then this chaotic energy goes everywhere. And so I thought it would be way more fun to, one, be able to allow a player to roll stuff so that they're not just saying magic is casting, but they get to have some fun. They get to level up their skills alongside other players and someone's making an attack, someone's making a spell cast. There's all sorts of fun ways to do it. But I also wanted to tie it to a skill so that anybody can cast magic and not just a single class. It's very important to me that literally in this game to cast magic, you just need one point in there, whether you earn it or you buy points in it. Once you get that point, you can then decide to start learning magic. So that was another reason I wanted to tie in magic so that if you're, for instance, uh, let's say you're a field knight. So one of the big tanky boys that like to rocket themselves across the battlefield, let's say they've exposed themselves to enough magic over time because their caster friend has 
been stupid and spawned tons of area of effect fields on them. So they have to make an archaic check against it. But then they've learned this power of magic. And so they're like, you know what? Now that I've earned a skill point by rolling for it, now I want to dive into magic to see Hmm. what I can do to add to my class. So yeah, that was one of the inspirations behind it was I wanted magic to be very freeform, very unlimited potential, but also dangerous (laughs) at the same time. So that's where the skill came from. That's so cool because it makes it Mm -hmm. very accessible, but also like you said, like it's very dangerous. Like it is, again, the infinite power, itty bitty living space sort of situation, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, Luminico. The system that of magic that exists in D&D, mm-hmm. most game systems, is called Vancey and Magic from Jack Vance's books. And this is vastly different than that. There's so many different ways to do magic other than the mm-hmm. Vancey and Magic system. Love the fact that this is different than that. It would be very new for players to see. That's the kind of challenge that D&D always had with yeah. psionics is because trying to make psionics, which is should be something you do all the time, fit that into a Vancean system is a hard shift. Yeah. Whereas I would think something like psionics would work much better in a system like this. Oh, yeah, it it does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was never a fan of Vancean. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I was was not a fan of Vancean magic. I hated this idea that I'm a mage and then all of a sudden, wait, I can't cast spells anymore. But I'm a wizard. (laughs) I should have the ability to cast it. But then at the same time, a lot of people do it because it's hard to balance wild magic, things that constantly are casting. And so to solve that, I was like, you know what? Let's add a charge state so that the more you cast, the more dangerous it gets. So that you're never out of the ability to cast magic. But it just becomes very scary. Yes. And not only that, when you critically fail a magic check, you spawn a chaotic storm that swarms around you and chases you across the battlefield because you're a magic caster. And I was just, I could not stand being a mage and being limited and going down to just cantrips now. But I have all these cool spells. And then then at the same time, I was like, all right, to add even more balance to that, let's add a cooldown system so that the spells, you're not just constantly throwing the same uber powerful spell you have to go on cooldown but then you're not limited so you can start casting multiple spells to the point where with your action economy i built a mage the other day that can cast three spells in the same round (laughs) and of course my thing skyrockets and i'm like oh this is going to be dangerous if i try this again but eh, what's a little (laughs) bit of an explosion if if it means i can help my allies they'll forgive me later for taking the chaos damage (laughs) nice so you successfully hit most of the points that I was going to ask about or just mention, because I loved the fact that you built in the chaotic rift. You can lose control of a spell and that it doesn't necessarily just tar- chase you. It will chase a random caster yep. on the battlefield. So someone else is <laughs> casting magic. It could be attracted yep. to them. Yeah, But it's a it can be a huge area of effect that's damaging a lot of people. So that seems mm-hmm. a little scary, yeah. even if I was just a guy standing beside the caster. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it has a chance to fizzle. The fact that you can't, you don't always succeed that while you're doing your, your hand motions, you could have tripped your finger over your thumb and yeah. And and in the lore, it's very important because you don't say spells in this universe. You don't say stuff. You don't require materials. It's all about intricately drawing those runes. Mm. Basically, I always like to think of it as programming. Like each line that you draw in this rune is a next little, yeah, it's a next little program code that you need. And then sometimes you run into a bug and the spell fails because you couldn't, no matter what you did, no matter how many times you rerolled, no matter how many pips you added, you couldn't succeed that check. And that just happens sometimes. And I prefer that sounds way more fun to me than all spells instantly casting. (laughs) That is very reminiscent of one of our favorite TV shows from last year, Shadow and Bone. So with the whole, Mm. the very, very somatic component based Mm -hmm. magic. So yeah. Awesome. All right, gentlemen. Initiative again for round two. Uh Uh-oh. Are we to round two already? I know. It's at 26 minutes in, right? Wow. Yeah. See, it goes by so quick. (laughs) All right. That's I'm 15 not to for me. Gobble, gobble no, either, so. you, Trevor, you're the guest. You can gabble gabble all you want. It's when we start gabble gabbing. That's bad. <laughs> that's a 15 yeah, for me. can that's be real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Fair enough. Yeah. Magic is one of those things that I could literally talk for yeah. hours on. All right. I've got a 15. What about you guys? I'm on a three. 
Okay. Oh, Ooh, I thought I was going to be Ooh. last with a six. All right. But. No. All right. I go first this time. Cool. So you nice. already opened the door a little bit ago when you were talking about the chaotic forces that drive magic. And that was definitely yeah. something that, particularly when I was reading the GM section, that the forces, you say it specifically, in fact, that the game could be and can be and should be on some level full of chaos, that there should just be like chaotic mm-hmm. stuff happening all over the place. And so. My question is, again, like from a game crafting point of view, as a storyteller trying to run one of these games, how is the flow of chaos managed through the game engine? How do you keep things moving forward with all of the chaotic elements happening left and right? Or is it best just to let it fly, damn the (laughs) torpedoes, and full speed ahead? So I always like to call the game a chaotic symphony because it all... I don't know how this game turned out so balanced. I really don't. I can, <laughs> Sorry. Feel free to laugh because I have no clue. People ask me, how did it's actually really balanced? Like, how'd you do this? I heck if I know. Luck. Ninety <laughs> yeah. percent nice. luck, hundred percent skill. Isn't that what they say? Something yeah. like that. But I when I run this game, there's a lot of checks and balances that a GM can do to keep stuff in control. Such as throwing auto hits in there, throwing auto misses in there, doing plus or minuses on the pips, throwing increasing difficulties, randomizing. Like if something comes up, because you're not your GM, GM, me, I never prep anything, which I probably should do more, but I don't. And so to deal with all the chaotic choices players do, I created a rule where you just roll 66 add a few extra dice, depending on the difficulty of the check and just see what happens. So there's there are so many ways to deal with the chaos. While letting the story flow uninterrupted. Like, one of the things I love is letting players do what they're going to do, and then I just roll or just guess what might happen with it. Half the time, I don't even perform a check. If I just think it's going to be cool for the player to do it, I'll do it. And if it progresses the story, I let it go on. So the game is very forgiving to GMs, which is once GMs start getting into this game, they get to see, oh, okay, so it's just let the players do what they want and then let my as the gm continue the story especially because battle is combat is very storytelling focused and very cinematic it can really happen so there, yeah. there's a lot of checks and balances for gms to make but half the time you just let the chaos happen and then you just bring something in to to help counter it if need be because uh, cool. everything in this game has a counter so far from what i've been able yeah. to run at least in my 200 play tests. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, I, I love how from the very beginning, just to, to that last point there about how cinematic the game is, mm-hmm. some of the first couple of things that you lay in there is that this is a story focused rule set. It is about mm-hmm. the narrative. It's about the, and then your focus is not on as crunchy as this rule system is. The focus mm-hmm. is on flavor. It's on right. telling the story. It's on establishing the world. It's on establishing mm-hmm. the characters and everything like that, which I think is fantastic. Oh yeah. I tried to very hard to keep storytelling at the heart of this game, which is why I say this is going to be fun because it just is everything (laughs) in this game wants you to have fun as a player and as a GM. Hey there travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans. You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DMs Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. Mr. Myers, it's up to you. So one of the things, especially when we're looking at a game that could involve starships Hmm. or sailing ships, that I always wind up going to and looking at is how the ship-to-ship combat rules are written. And... Now, knowing that all of the checks run off the same check system, it's not going to be hugely different, I would imagine. But as I went through Mm -hmm. it, I know that there's some differences in movement. There's different roles Mm -hmm. people can have on the ship so that they have something to contribute to the battle. But taking the blocks off of the page and bringing it to life, can you do that for me? Can you paint me a picture of what ship-to-ship combat looks like? Yes, and I'm even more excited because I've been working on a supplement called the Starship Expansion, which goes super in-depth 
into vehicle stuff that you can do because I really wanted starships because in the book, I tried to simplify it so that mm. I didn't overwhelm people with information because I tried to keep the core rule book as crunchy as I could, but also easier to learn so that it's not you get lost the moment you pick up this book. But starships like. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun, especially with these new rules coming out. But that aside, just using the core rulebook itself, you have multiple ships and the players are all working together on the same initiative to try to move the ship to to line it up for its attacks within its within its firing arc to activate their various different abilities they can do the engineer sitting in the deck the captain calls out gives the engineer an extra action so that the engineer can then boost the shields as they try to ram into another ship or the communication officer can just threaten the crew of the enemy ships so that the weapons master then gets bonuses to attack and so ship combat is very flowy, just like the regular combat is. Granted, if you're just using the core rulebook, it's not as, it's still incredibly cinematic and incredibly fun to do, but it's not going to be as in-depth as the new expansion is going to be with it, which we're actually adding all of those rules to Yggdrasil as well. So you don't have to buy multiple different things. But yeah, so the ship combat, it's very simple and easy to understand, but Using just the core rules, it's still super fun to play in. And everybody feels like they can do something. It's not just, oh, my character's not built for this, so I don't know what to do in space. It's more, okay, here's my role. Here's what I'm going to do. And on top of that, let's figure out what else I can do. I just want to go jump into space and fire a rocket launcher at people. I have had people who put on magnetic boots, go stand on top of their starship mid-combat, mind you, Launching ethereal rocket launchers at people. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ridiculous stuff you can do. I remember they. It's attack. I, yeah, exactly. And there's even rules for converting space maneuver or space movement for player movement as well. So if players have six squares of movement, they can move one in space. So there's always ways to act outside of your starship as well, especially because I've had people literally throw their crewmates outside of the airlock to try to get <laughs> onto a boarding ship. There's a lot of ridiculous stuff that happens in this game. People keep doing stuff that I'm just like, huh, I never thought that would come up with the rules, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> Celestia can survive out there, right? Yeah, Celestia prototype that have been transferred don't need to breathe. The exiled, the undead species, they don't need to breathe in space, so they can also... There's a real fun dive bomb you can do where a, a Thaumatech with void magic can launch a Exiled up to 10 squares in space. Exiled can then go through walls as long as it's not a ether protected one. So I had one who they had three thom or two Thaumatechs and they had two Exiled and they just powerhouse shot them through the docking bay into the enemy bridge the people just phased through into the bridge and then we had ship combat alongside regular indoor combat and it was stupidly fun that sounds it uh, that sounds amazing i like that plan right <laughs> it's so, so great this system and it seemed as though it was simple and fluid mm -hmm. and it was going to give you the ability to have cinematic role-played story over rules yeah. epic space battle which would be a lot of fun and the way you wrote the roles i did i liked a lot because it reminded me of all of the starship shows you watch where you've got your bridge right? crew with the captain in this captain chair yep so i did very much like it but i'm even more excited to hear that there's a an expansion coming out that'll get a yeah. little bit more that could get a little bit more into vehicle combat tactics yeah. maybe yeah, yeah. I was going to add it originally to the core rule, but then it was too much. Well, that would like, be a lot. Yeah, you've got a lot here already. Want, yeah. I was like, I didn't want new players to freak out in a space combat. I'm like, let's make it simple, easy to understand. They don't have to learn a new rule. Everything is, it uses the same stuff. It just depends on where you're getting your stats from. So let's keep it simple. But then I was like, but I love space combat. So I'm going <laughs> to work on something on the side. With Yggdrasil coming out, there's actually a space Viking specialization you can take, and they get unique maneuvers that they can allow people to do in space now. And so one of the major things we're adding with this expansion is what I call maneuvers. So that's going to be someone who's an engineer, for instance. So an engineer, a pilot, and a weapons master can all use their reaction, and they can do a barrel roll. And once they do that barrel roll, they move their ship a certain 
amount of squares in space. Then the weapons master gets to, if they're in the same arc of a ship, get a fire on that ship. And then the engineer gets to increase the front world shields so that if they're facing forward, they get to do it. So the new stuff I'm adding really dives deep into player working together in space. So it's not just the positions. It's literally, here's our positions Here's what we can do with them now. Let's add maneuvers so we can do stupid stuff. <laughs> like the, there's a maneuver ramming speed where the engineer has to succeed a check in over to overpower the shields. And the programmer, which is a new position that's going to be added, has to program a specific angle so that it can then slice through a starship. And then the pilot has to succeed that check so that your ship doesn't get stuck in it. All of these are just going to be things you can do on your turn together or some of them outside of your turn. And on top of that, there's also going to be mech maneuvers that you can do. So that mech combat is something super unique. So I love this game. <laughs> this, and I'm a huge fan of cinematic starship battles. So I was like, okay, keep it simple and super fun for the core rulebook. And then I'm going to dive into it in the expansion. <laughs> I love it. That's a great segue because your passion shows through in every answer you've given to every question we've asked. And I really want to call that out and, Okay. There's simply nothing better than somebody who's passionate ab about their work and, and how much fun they've had doing it and how much fun people are going to have experiencing it. So I love that a lot. And along that way, I'm going to take us out of the mechanics of the book for a little bit and oh, talk about just the overall of the book. I love the art in this book. There's some pictures right. specifically that I call out. The white dragon you had on page 267 is amazing. Love that picture. It's just so ephemeral, I think is the word I'm looking for. And yet yeah, it works. Definitive. Like it's just, it is both heavy and light in the same mm -hmm. moment. And I love that. In particular, then, sorry, just to go ahead and glom onto that too. The one, the picture that stood out for me is the one that's taken from the back and there's a mech on the right-hand side. And then I'm not even sure like what class, maybe like a wizard class or something that's like standing next to the mech with the big staff and they're staring oh, off into the distance. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The city with a yes. coming with down. With the planetoid. That, yeah, totally. Yep. So yep. Beautiful. So Absolutely. Yeah. That one. And then, but speaking to the fun and the passion for the game and is that postcard on page 280. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yes. I, I love that team picture. And it has that World War II style pinup lettering to it that's yeah. glorious. But it brings me to the question that I was getting to. That was a lot of preamble. So apologies. But, I don't think you're um, fine. <laughs> Tell us about the art direction in general. I know I'm going to ask you to give the name for the artist as well, but tell us about the art direction. What were your goals going in? Do you think you got everything you wanted out of the art that you had? And what are you looking for your expansions? Oh, yeah. First of all, I have to give a shout out to my artist. I love that man. He is an amazing artist. His name is Peter Balog. He's actually a Hungarian that I've worked with for all of our art now for the most part. And my thing when I went into this, because I went through a lot of research of artists to be like, I want a style that fits my idea and then I can totally love every ounce of. And I finally found him because he does a beautiful digital painting style. But not only that, he somehow manages to perfectly combine the effects of sci-fi and fantasy into one. And yeah. And even more so is I pride myself on being someone that's very flexible and very, I try to be fun to work with. And so I would give him my idea be like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. I would give him some examples as he would request to be like, okay, thinking like this. But then I would tell him, but I want you to have fun with this art. And I want you to add your own vision to this, not just mine, because if you're having fun with your art, everybody's absolutely going to love it. And to this day, I'm still his, one of his favorite people to work with too <laughs> so it always makes me happy anytime i ask him for art he's like let me get that for you now like, he's also the co-author of the book correct no he's oh. the lead artist and concept designer my co-author is actually noble grant who oh, okay. my goodness she's amazing she's actually she wrote yggdrasil so the expansion that's coming out because she loved this book so much which is funny because originally she just did the class the stories before the classes and then she was like, I don't really want to go too much into all this. She didn't like tabletop games. She actually hated tabletop games. <laughs> then I was like, come play the game so you can learn how to write the classes better. The class stories. She got into it. She's been with me for since the basically the beginning of it now. She's 
loves it. We play every Sunday. She also plays on Tuesday, our Tuesday game. And then she's, and she's, I don't know if I'm going to dive much more into it other than class stories. And then she's, let me just write a book now. (laughs) Somehow we, we grew. Yeah, somehow she grew from hating tabletop games to still hating tabletop games, but absolutely adoring Veil of the Void. So I <laughs> take that as that's my biggest compliment I've ever received was the fact that somebody who hated every other tabletop game came and played Veil of the Void and was like, I love this. I can actually make my character like she was a pacifist medic who never once through our whole year and a half of playing the game made a single attack, which is weird because combat medics need to make an attack in order to heal someone. And yet without her, the whole party would have died eight to ten times in this campaign. So not once was she as someone playing a pacifist character not able to do something. So that that was a complete different tangent from the artwork. (laughs) Take the question where it takes you. Like I said, I love your passion for this. That was a great tangent too. Yeah. And so Idrisil, we're we're working with the same artist. He's already got some incredible stuff. Like we just got the Valkyrie artwork done, which, oh, good art. (laughs) (laughs) But he's getting a bit more direction from Noble on that fact. And then we're working together to make this Norse theme our own and fit Veil the Void's universe so that both art pieces look like they're from the f- same universe. And so far, it's turning out really good. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, yeah. gentlemen, I think we have time for one more round here. So D20s ah, to the ready. Perfect. Big money, big money, oh, no whammies. F- Four. That's a 14 for me. Ten. Ah. Oh. I'll go first again. Excellent. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, and (laughs) exactly (laughs) he who controls the microphone wins. That's right. Ah. So I'm going to go ahead and step back a little bit and I want to talk about the game as a whole here and allow you to kind of go off a little bit here. I reading through this book could see pieces of so many different games. Like we talked earlier about the somatic components being very reminiscent of shadow and bone mm-hmm. like that. So what are some of the games that are baked into the DNA of veil of the void? Like what, did, where are some of the influences that you drew from to go ahead and build the game and all that sort of stuff? Now here's the fun thing is I didn't actually look at games and say, how could I like, I like this idea. Where can I go from it? I read through 250 manuals for tabletop games. Yeah. And instead of thinking, oh, let me take like an, an idea and see how to make it better. I said, what do I hate about this? What can I actually make fun? And so I went off there. So th- this game was what? Why do I hate? I had to ask myself, why do I dislike playing a lot of tabletop games? What do I dislike about this game? And then I would be like, OK, so I don't really like the magic system of this game. And I'm like, how can I make magic more fun and fit my idea? And so stuff would burst less out of what do I like in other games and more out of what do I hate and what do I want to make actually something fun that I can enjoy? So I always tell people this game is very selfish. (laughs) It was made very much. How can I enjoy this game? And how can I not have a single rule that I would hate to play and hate to use? And so the game very much came out of that. And then when I opened it up to the public and saw that people really liked it, I was like, cool, how can I take what they like and improve on it and make it even better? So So, it's less that you've got other games in the DNA of the game and more that this game is a reaction to every other game out on the market kind of thing. So yeah, it's uh, (laughs) this is what I don't like. So let me try to make something that compensates for that and makes it better, (laughs) in my opinion, of course. Fabulous. Fabulous. (laughs) Excellent. Hi, Mr. Miller. All right. So I, my last question, I took us out of the book and into the overall or away from mm-hmm. the mechanics. Now I'm going to go back into the book, but I'm not going to okay. go mechanics. I'm going to go story. Ooh, perfect. I love, the, I love characters. I love the fact that you use the phrase species, not races in this yep. book. Yes. It's a bit of a bailiwick for me as a player and that I've tried to come up with different ways, lineages and that, but Watsy still wants to fight me on it. I won't get in that rabbit hole tonight, but I love the fact that you chose to use the phrase species. It does come it's easier when you're talking about a futuristic game or a sci-fi oriented mm-hmm. game but I don't think it is inappropriate for other games. So I love that you did that. But talk to us about the nine species you have in this book. Can you give our listeners who are hearing about Veil of the Void for the first time, Reforged, and give them a quick overview of what they can expect from each of these species? 
Yeah. I get way too excited. So the Celestia <laughs> are the very first one. We'll just go quick, do a quick rundown so that everybody gets to ask their questions. Celestia, they're like these embodied galaxies that roam this universe. From their ancestral paths, they're all descendants from one of four basically celestial gods. So they get to carry those memories into this world and they choose specific goals that they were sent here for that help them get better at stuff. And so they're just these beautiful walking galaxies that have a goal in mind and yet could still do stuff outside of that goal and they're oh, they're so cool the dalkindrith i was like how about we make an energy vampire i was like okay so that's what they're gonna do but different than regular vampires they're frozen to the core they're from a they're from a realm of ever change which is an ever shifting realm which is why when they go to the central realm or any realm outside of that they actually absorb life from people but when they go to their home world because they are creatures of ever change they can heal people instead and so I really wanted them to be a different, not just a bloodsucker. I wanted them to be something unique in another fact. In fact, every species was, how can I make something that kind of fits tropes, but make them into my own so that they're not just standard species? Like the Elan, I didn't want them to just be standard elves, like these like high, proud elves that live in forests and stuff. No, I wanted a combat, like militaristic, they're the last line of defense for the universe type of species, because that sounds more fun. They And I love giving them so that when they age, based on how old you make them, you actually get more skill points, because it drove me nuts in games and movies when elves who live around for thousands of years aren't masters at something (laughs) so preach the alan struck me as the asari from mass effect that was the parallel that i saw in there is that kind of super militaristic but also somewhat but uh, i don't know just it just kind of that's very much when i read through them i was like oh yeah that's where i went with that so that's very yeah and it's so cool that they're born under a light too it's not just like dark elves and light elves it's literally based on the solar sun that you're born under and the time of day that you're born under that year d- determines how you look and stuff like that and what your gifts are because of how the magic rotates in that world. The Exiled, super fun. They're characters that you can bring back that were once living and now are dead. Memories of previous characters you've played. Or what I love to do is to bring people who are new into the system. I love to say, do you have a D&D character that you played a lot? How about <laughs> they came into this universe as an exile because they died forever ago. And now they're going to have to deal with all this sci-fi stuff. So yeah, it's a huge, the Exiled are a fun way to bring in outside games and introduce sci-fi into the universe for them. And if uh, I can and, uh, interrupt for just a brief moment, I yes, please. <laughs> wrote that about the exiled in the section, like, I, which was really well done. You not only wrote about each of these, you gave some hooks for players to say, Hey, mm-hmm. you're new to this game. Here's a way to use this and to conceptualize. And I, uh, yeah, brilliant stroke. I'll let you get back at it at the end. Thank you. Yeah. I can't tell you how long this book took me to organize because I did not want it to be difficult to navigate. (laughs) I get intimidated by big books. So I wanted to make sure I didn't intimidate others as best I could. But yeah, then humans, I didn't want them to just be the boring humans. I was like, what if humans are aliens in this universe? (laughs) They're the weird ones now. <laughs> and they're not just boring. You get an extra feet or something. It's like they're chosen children of one of the major, the major god of the universe. They get the ability to succeed checks once per day just because they can. But then at the same time, I wanted to reflect, especially with what happened in with 2020 and all that good stuff. Worse, humans are survivors. So I wanted to put something like that in there to show people, okay, we're not just boring. We're, we are those that can survive this as well, alongside all the other ones. <laughs> and then Koreans, I was like, what if space dwarves, but massive and four arms? They all have runes inscribed on them, and they can combine their four arms to create a living forge that they can then melt metal in and craft stuff. They're the only ones who understand the old ways of enchanting items. So just starting the game, anytime you craft something with our diverse crafting system, you can enchant it, making it magical, making it stronger, better. And then, of course, you you got four arms, so you can dual wield great blades earlier on in the game than anybody else can. Or dual wield massive great caliber sniper rifles, which is incredibly entertaining. And prototype, I was like, what if an artificial unit, but what if also not just artificial, but also organic? 
so that they can be either or. They're not just bound to one type of robot. They can be whatever they want. And so they upgrade their chassis. They can hack into stuff. They start the game with an additional cybernetic enhancement that nobody else gets because it's super cool and fun and makes a lot of sense. <laughs> They're always trying to improve themselves. And then Reapers, I was like, what if Elementals but more entertaining for me. <laughs> I want to actually play one. So they each take on the aspects of the different core realms in this existence. And even more fun with the Reapers, there's things like the Topa, is it the Exiled, where you can get a, the only way to become an Exiled or a an Ether-based Reaper is to have died and come back as one. Or you can become an Adarethian Reaper, which is one of the prime ones, which you don't see very often. And that can lead to so many new cool storytelling ones. You're one of the few. And then, of course, like the Topikin, which are just beautiful plant creatures. But not only that, they can be whatever they want. They, I, I had a person who was a small little mushroom who stood about two feet tall. And he <laughs> ran around with a six foot tall great chain blade. <laughs> Amazing. It was just fun. There's love all these different species. Yeah. This is so much fun. I cannot wait right? to go ahead and actually have a chance to play this. This will be so much fun. <laughs> All right, Mr. Myers, take us home, sir. Okay. So, Lee you almost scooped me when you came back to story, but not quite. Because <laughs> my final question was going to be, we've talked a lot about the mechanics. Mm -hmm. Now we've talked some about the species. Mm -hmm. said races earlier. Apologies. Old habits. So we talked about the species now, but I was wondering if you could, because it comes towards the end of the book where you get the lore. You give a lot of the mechanics first, mm -hmm. but could you give us an overview of the galaxy of Reactin? How do you how do you pronounce it? Reactin. 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 Okay. The galaxy of Reactin and the different zones that make it up, and like the social structure of the game, the setting. Yeah. So yeah, the reason the lore is more towards the back is because. I had this thing in mind originally when I was designing it called Philidai's Book of Monsters, Myth and Magic. I thought it would be fun to write the lore from someone who lives in this universe's perspective. And so I was like, ooh, how about when it prints too, it's on different paper so that when you're flipping through the book, you know exactly where the lore starts and exactly where all the rules are. But yeah, so Reactan is basically there's several different groups and species and organizations that own various different parts and sectors of the galaxy. The biggest one is the Star Council. They own a huge portion of the stars. There's, they're like the biggest of the judicial systems. They try to keep everything in order. And then like each species has their home planet if they have one. Reapers don't really, but if they have one or like the Celestial Fleet, because Celestial are just born in space or born on starships or things like that, just randomly appearing. Yeah, so each section is broken off based on the group that runs it. And so it's it's there's a lot of fun dynamics you could run. Like the Elan are very more militaristic. When you go in there, they're all about defending their sectors from invading demons and creatures of the... They're all about being that last hope for the universe. But then the Star Council, it's a huge mix. The closer you are to the Zion area, the more laws and things that get abided. But the farther away you are, the more people start to care less and less about the overarching rules and stuff. So it's a very dynamic universe. And then of course, like in the lore section, it's all listed in there of like how the core species view magic, how each a plant home world is and what it looks like when you go there and how people believe of stuff. And then on top of that, of course, to bring in some of the fun aspects of things, there's various different deities of the universe. And the fun thing is too, is based on which deities your character grows closest to, they can get a unique effect that they can use and call upon in combat without having to be a cleric. <laughs> so like I tried to make sure that the lore fit the universe, but that I didn't give so much lore that one, the book became like 500 pages because trust me, I could get there. <laughs> but at the same time, it still gives you enough fun stuff to run this universe without feeling like you're so bound to the universe's lore that you can't change anything. Nice. I love it. And I was looking at the map on page 194 yeah. as you were talking, just so that I could visualize as we went. And as you're looking at it, obviously, as you were talking about, closer to the core of the galaxy is where most of the set, the settled sectors are. And all yeah. of the unsettled, non-sectored space that's still within explored space, is that yep. simply just left open for storytellers to fill with things? Or is that yes. dead space? Or And so here's the fun thing. People send me their universe and like different planets they've created outside of the known sectors. And I've been adding 
people's stuff to the map. And eventually I'm going to post it on the website where people can put their own things. Oh, that's really and cool. And build a universe together collectively off of it. Okay, that's really <laughs> so, cool. <laughs> yeah. That's so a lot, of that, a lot of that explored stuff is just open for players or for people to use. But also in the lore, people really haven't expanded in a long time. They're still trying to pick up from the, the pieces of almost being wiped out with the last war against the evil deities. So even though it was a, a thousand years ago, it's still a lot of pieces to pick up, almost being destroyed. And they've done less and less exploration and more like, OK, they've explored stuff, but nobody's claimed it for their own yet. Right. So, so there's and, lots of and, frontier left. Yeah, there's lots of frontier. I wanted to make sure. And the fun thing in the lore, too, is it explains Reactan is ever expanding. The galaxy does not end. And even beyond explored space, the whirlpool just keeps extending with more and more to explore. And so eventually, as we do campaigns or as we do expansions, I plan on adding more to this map to be like, here's this mansion planet. Here's this mansion planet. Here's this sector. Here's where the godlings, which are going to be in the Yggdrasil expansion, here's where they come in now and stuff like that. We have a lot of fun stuff planned, but I also wanted to leave it open so that other people can plan it and not feel bound to one thing. So I tried hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's evident in every page. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Goodness, Trevor, there is so much in this book. We could continue talking for hours on the content that's in here, but (laughs) boy, this is... This just looks so much fun. I really, I am so excited to be able to go ahead and and throw dice at this. Where can our listeners get a copy of Veil of the Void and where can they find you in the work that you're doing right now? Okay. One of the best places that you can go is our link tree. So that's linktr.ee slash Veil of the Void. That gives you everything you need. It's organized. It has the demo book. It has where you can get the PDFs. It has where you can get all the expansions, where everything that you need. But if you want a direct access to our website, it's www.sdgcreatives.com. And that's the best place. It has everything on there that you can need. It's super easy to navigate. One click button takes you everywhere. But yeah, so either the sdgcreatives.com for the immediate link or our link tree veil the void if you want to dive even deeper into it all excellent yeah in fact the sdg creatives website even has a demo book of reforged which i which is very nice yeah all right trevor thank you so very much for joining us tonight this has been just an absolute ton of fun we love bringing in creators that are so passionate to go ahead and talk about their talk about their stuff trevor thank you so very much for joining us we really appreciate you taking the time tonight to go ahead and and come with us and can't wait to go ahead and and get into the game and start to start playing that too that'll be a a ton of fun thanks so much for reaching out and thanks for coming on the show we really thank you so much yeah we really appreciate you and like i said your passion oh amazing i can't wait to dig in like, <laughs> it's like perfect. That's what wait. I like to hear. Yeah, and it has, right, it's everybody. truly been a blast. So thank you very much. One thing I don't think we mentioned, when you get the PDF here, they are hyperlinked. So if yeah. you're at a table yes. of context, you click, you go to a spot. Yep. Uh, yeah. Specifically spot. looking at the species, the first page it brings you to the first page of them, and then there's a list and it gives you the page numbers the individual species are on. But if you click on the name of one of those species, it drops you right to their page. And I think that's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Needs to be celebrated whenever somebody puts out yes. digital product yeah. when this is done. This is what makes games easy and yep. fun mm-hmm. to use. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, organization is a huge part. That's why I added chapter contents, which bugs me that other games don't have that. So- Anyway, anyway, that's a whole other subject. That's I a whole other episode, Sorry. exactly, yeah. right there. Yeah, no, hey, no yeah. worries. Yeah, the Luanique opened the door. You just walked through it, man. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Go check out Veil of the Void from SDG Creatives. It's fantastic. And tune in to the actual play on this also. Until then, have a good night, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, 
Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.